welcome to Normal with Autism, the podcast where we are walking with faith on this side of the spectrum. We like to invite those outside of our community to come to the kitchen table and learn about special needs families and hope to provide encouragement to those families in our special needs community. I'm Tara. I'm Sarah. And we finally got the mics working. <laughs> it's a very stressful. Oh, we had like watching you be stressed. <laughs> deep breath. We had like 15 minutes where I'm like, is this going to work? I'm not sure. Because we are three mics official today. Oh my gosh. Listen, we got three mics, 3,000 downloads. It's 300 likes on the Facebook page. Yes. I am just, I'm in awe right now. Will do you, you think all, this is what Beyonce feels like? I think so. Yeah. Can I be, do you want to be Solange or do you want to be Beyonce? What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> I want to be Jay-Z. I, I think you're, you're more, you're more Beyonce. I'm more Solange. Mm. If I'm even saying her name right. I like saying that name. Solange. I love that name. I it's, love both those names actually. I want a girl just so I can name her Solange. Okay, I'll come visit. Okay, anyway. <laughs> um, would you guys, since you love us so much, continue to check us out on Instagram at Normal with Autism and on Facebook at Normal with Autism. And if you are getting this podcast to your ear hole currently, pause it for a second, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, on Podbean, mm-hmm. and now <gasps> Google Play. What? Yes. We are, we're going to be even more amazing official. It's definitely Beyonce level. Are you excited? We're basically going to be at Coachella next year. Do you? Basically. Do you think so? It's going to be like Wiz Khalifa and now Normal with Autism. Is Wiz Khalifa at Coachella? I have no idea. I don't know what's at Coachella. I don't French, either. I don't know. I, yeah, I have no clue. <laughs> do you look at the, do you follow that on Instagram at all? Do you like look at where they go and like? Um. Well, I follow... Kylie Jenner, who goes to Coachella. <laughs> Do you want to be like Kylie Jenner? I want, Is that your... I like her face. Her and face. I like for her to give me tips on how to make my face look you know better. What? She has really great makeup tips. So we're going from Kylie Jenner to Murder Podcast. Ooh, please, About O.J. Simpson. Oh. You Have you heard the Confronting O.J. Podcast? No. It's amazing. How have I not? And you need to listen to it. Okay. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. My favorite murder is taking a break. So I've got plenty of time. You go for it. Okay, cool. All right. You should enjoy it. Okay. So how do we segue? (laughs) So we've got Beyonce covered, murder, Coachella, Kylie Jenner. Should we introduce our guest? We should at some point. Let me. Someone that has nothing to do with any of those things. No, no, no. But we are at, we are not at our kitchen table this morning at my kitchen table. We are at another beautiful kitchen table. Gorgeous. It kind of rivals the one that Matt built for you. Ooh, it's better. I think. Ooh, don't tell Matt I said that. Okay. It's amazing. All right. Don't listen to All this like mid-century modern. I love it. Beautifulness. Okay. So, um, I'm excited today because we're going to cover a topic that we really haven't had a chance to explore yet. Yes, but it's been one that a lot of people have been asking about. Yeah, whenever we get feedback on our Facebook page, people are like, we need to hear more about adolescents with autism, adults with autism, please give us that story. Yes. Um, So, we have a wonderful mom joining us today, and she's going to kind of give us a glimpse into her life, her son's life. 
Um, and before we do that, I think it's important to bring up some points of consideration for our listeners and kind of give some context to why it's so important to tell um, stories about autism with adult or mm-hmm. adults with autism um, and help them kind of understand why these stories are so important in our community. Um, so some of this information comes from a website, Spectrum. I just found it the other day. It's um, pretty interesting. Um, there are a lot of autistic adults out there. Mm-hmm. Um, this number kind of smacked me in the face, like, wow, this is crazy. Um, researchers say about 50,000 young people with autism turn 18 every year. Oh, wow. 50,000. Yeah. Um, and that there was a wave of children who were diagnosed in the 90s, mm-hmm. and now they're coming of age. Um, and unfortunately, I think what a lot of people outside of our community don't see is they they see like we get services, right? So right. like we post about how we go to children's and how lucky we are and things like that. But what they might not understand is that once you turn 21, those services start to drop away. Right. And sometimes even before that, depending on your personal story. And your benefits, because in the state of Ohio, they're only required to cover autism therapies until the age of 13. Yes. Because, you know, autism goes away when you're 13, apparently. For for that slice of insurance that falls under that. Yeah, that's correct. Um, But then what happens is the child becomes a part of the adult disabled world. So they would be like with Franklin County Board of DD or receiving some type of adult disabled services Mm -hmm. if they would qualify for those. And those services tend to be scarce sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we just heard about the Morrow County Board shutting down. Yeah. And they tend to be inconsistent. So what that leaves the parents to do is like still kind of the need for services didn't go away necessarily and they need to kind of piece those things together right the need didn't go away but the access did Mm -hmm. so right now researchers can't really clearly state key factors that will help adults with autism uh kind of grow and flourish and keep growing um and about only one percent of the 200 million dollars in the federal funding in our here in the united states is targeted to adults with autism and understanding mm-hmm. their unique challenges and what they go through. Um, so I think it's incredibly important that we share these experiences, that we get them out there so that people can continue learning and sharing Absolutely. and growing um, and get that vital information. So um, I just want to convey all the appreciation and respect for the mom that we're going to introduce. Yeah. And I'm going to let Sarah take over. Oh, Okay. And ask some questions (laughs) and introduce our special guest. All right. So today we're going to talk to my friend, Rebecca, who is amazing. Um, She's someone that I don't really know very well, but I've looked up to for a long time. Um, I work with her husband and he just talks about her with like such reverence. (laughs) And I don't know, like I feel like geeky just sitting here. (laughs) Well, welcome Rebecca. Yay, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Um, We're super glad to have you here. Like Tara said, this is something that a lot of people have been asking us about, asking us to cover. Um, And it's not, obviously our kids are young, so it's not something that we've come across yet. Um, So we're very thankful to have an expert to talk with us. Thank you. Well, I feel like I'm an expert in my own experience with my own kid, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But hopefully our experience will help other families as well. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, you know, every, you know, just like they say, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And I feel like it's the same for the journeys. Like if Mm -hmm. you've met, you know, one family, you know what that family has gone through. It doesn't necessarily mean that every family has gone through the same thing, but you can still take something from, for sure, from everyone and make it awesome. Okay. (laughs) I'm so nervous. I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, let's start with having uh, Tara's like, you're never asking the questions. No, no, you're doing fantastic. Um, Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit about yourself first and then obviously about your wonderful family? Yeah. So, um, I, I think this is hilarious, but I grew up in a family of five girls Mm. and I have four boys, which is like, I think God has the funniest sense of humor. (laughs) Uh, and I am a certified yoga teacher. I am also a certified health coach. Um, and then also am a retired professional photographer. So now I just am like a iPhoneographer. Essentially, I'm a hobbyist. I love that term. I've never heard that before. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's great. Um, but I feel like uh, we moved to Columbus eight years ago. And when we moved to Columbus, I decided to take six months off of work to help uh, my oldest son, who's on the spectrum, get settled. And after six months went by, I just felt like I needed six more months. Mm-hmm. And then after six more months went six more months went by, I just realized I was not going to be able to pick up full-time work again. Um, that as he grew older, his needs were changing. Um, and I needed to devote myself, um, primarily full-time to just establishing the resources that you need to establish, kind of assembling our team, Mm -hmm. which takes a while when you're Mm -hmm. new to a community. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that is a really important thing to talk about because it is like a full-time job. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so hard to manage all these appointments and all these therapies and all the things that you need to do in between, you know, working and you have three other kids to take care Mm -hmm. of and a house and it's a lot, Mm -hmm. it's a lot lot to deal with. Um, tell us about your family. So my husband is a doctor and my four boys are, so awesome, but so different from one another. (laughs) They could not be more different. My oldest two are just 14 months apart and they are just night and day different, but it was really amazing having a baby right after having my oldest son who's on the spectrum because he really helped to push his brother along. So my son was very slow to talk. He was really developmentally delayed and they really kind of went through all those milestones together. But my, my oldest son just like was always one little teeny, teeny, tiny step ahead of his brother. Mm-hmm. And we really felt like, um, his younger brother just kind of helped to push him along in really important, positive ways. Um, and then after having two babies, 14 months apart, I was exhausted and overwhelmed and traumatized. Yeah, just God imagine. bless you for that. I'm like <laughs> no. taking a deep breath. Just Mine are 18 my... months and it was, yeah, I don't know crazy. how we did it. Yeah. Well, and my, you know, my husband was in medical school. Mm-hmm. So those were our two med school babies. And then we were, um, we moved out of state for him to do his medical residency, um, where he's working like 80 to hundred hours mm-hmm. a week. Um, and we ended up having a residency baby. So another boy, 
uh, and then eventually got up the courage to have a fourth baby who I was like, we already have three boys. What could God throw at us that we have not already (laughs) seen already? And then we had our youngest Uh where I was like, oh, it turns out God can throw a whole lot at us. (laughs) He's so awesome though. He is awesome. He just is stubborn and like he's, 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 he's a kid of extremes. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. But he's a good kid. Mm -hmm. They're all good kids. Um, so what was that like to see, um, well, first let's get started on, um, so your oldest son that is on the spectrum, tell us a little bit about his diagnosis story. Uh, when did you start noticing? And then what was it like to, did you, we talk a lot about grief on this podcast. Did you grieve those milestones that he wasn't reaching? So... I feel like, well, first of all, I'll start with his diagnosis Mm -hmm. and then I'll talk about the grieving process because I feel like I've done a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So his story, I feel like, is pretty atypical. I had a very complicated pregnancy with him. I had a lot of preterm labor. My first hospitalization was at 16 weeks gestation. And so we were dealing with all this preterm labor. Um, I was bed rest really early on. But then... At about 33 and a half weeks, um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had had some bleeding. And so we rushed to the hospital and the bleeding just stopped and they didn't know why it had even started, but they um, just felt like I wasn't measuring where I was supposed to. And so they sent me to my OB's office the next day who did a growth ultrasound and they realized that my placenta was not working well. Mm -hmm. That like the blood flow from the placenta to the baby through the umbilical cord was only at like 30% of where it was supposed to be. The baby's heart was decelerating. um, His kidneys weren't functioning well. I had really low amniotic fluid. And they decided at that appointment on a Monday that it was still better for him to be inside of me than for me to have an emergency induction. And so they scheduled like daily ultrasounds. And I came in the next day and they took one look at him and they said, you have got to go straight to the hospital. Like you cannot stop at home to get a hospital bag. You can't like, you know, we'll call an ambulance for you unless you promise you're going to go straight there. We need to get this baby out now. Oh my gosh. Wow. And I have since read that, you know, there are risk factors for, um, you know, kids on the spectrum and, you know, one is being a boy, mm-hmm. um, one is being born prematurely. Mm-hmm. And also another is if the mother had placenta issues, oh. which I also had. So Interesting. it's, it sounds like the placenta issues didn't like, you didn't know about it no. until the bleeding mm-hmm. started. No, so if you yeah. wouldn't have had that bleeding, he is our little miracle baby. Like wow. when we, um, when I went in that second, for that second ultrasound, I mean, the doctor said, I really think we were probably 24 hours from a stillborn baby. Oh like goodness. he was not oh doing well. So he's our miracle baby. Um, but we knew he was going to have developmental delays because he was really about 28, 29 weeks gestation mm-hmm. in size, even though he was like a 34 weeker. Um, he was born like right on that 34 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so he started services when he was four months old. He started physical therapy. And over the years, you know, we had all kinds of therapists, all kinds of evaluations. And starting when he was like two, three years old, uh, the psychologist, the specialist would start saying, you know, in a lot of ways he presents like a kid on the spectrum, 
But then they would never actually test for it because they always thought it was something else. Okay. Um, he makes eye contact. He likes to be touched. In fact, I had to learn to be touchy feely because that's what he needed. And that's not how I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, he needed touch and those two things, they were like, there's no way that he could be on the spectrum because of those two things. But as we, as he got older, I mean, they just kept throwing around different diagnoses, but just none of them fit. Mm -hmm. And finally, when he was eight years old, we were really struggling. I mean, he had had an IEP this whole time um, and had received full-time preschool from the school district, um, had had a lot of support in school. But then we moved to North Carolina and all that support stopped. Um, they would not honor his IEP. I was very, very overwhelmed. Looking back, I recognize I would have needed to hire an advocate um, and maybe even sue the school district to get mm -hmm. him the services that he needed. But we were really, really blessed to have a family member who offered to pay for a private evaluation and private services. And we met this incredible psychologist who spent nine hours observing him in the classroom, like interacting with peers at home with our family, with his siblings, and then administered the ADOS and, um, which do they still use the ADOS? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the end, you know, this was like back when there were, was an Asperger's diagnosis mm -hmm. in the end, diagnosed him with high functioning Asperger's through, and she ended up writing like a 35 page comprehensive report, wow. which we have since given to a number of specialists. And they just, they're like, we have never read such an amazing comprehensive report. Wow. So he shares, like he has so many characteristics of a kid on the spectrum. Um, and, and when we told his school teacher about the diagnosis, she said, oh, I, I knew he had Asperger's. I knew this all along, mm -hmm. but she had not, um, you know, initiated mm -hmm. any conversations with us or any services. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, so that is kind of his, um, diagnosis story, but I still remember, um, meeting, you know, my husband was able to get work off for us to, um, go and meet with the psychologist. And she delivered us this diagnosis, which we had kind of suspected for a long time. And then we went out to lunch afterwards and I just felt like, I mean, I was numb. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to burst into tears. I felt like I was having an out of body experience. I mean, I just, it just felt so big mm -hmm. and so monumental. And you know, my husband and I are having like a rare lunch out together because he's in his fellowship training at this point. Like he's still working 80 to hundred hours a week. And he took patient calls through the entire lunch. <laughs> and I mean, that, that was just like him. the nature <laughs> of his job. Like right. that's what he had to do. But sitting there having just received that diagnosis, mm -hmm. I felt so alone. Mm -hmm. I felt so alone. Um, and it was, you know, we had processed various like potential diagnoses all through his life. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, to this grieving, like he never hit any of his developmental milestones. Mm -hmm. It was, he's got low muscle tone. So it was six months before he could even hold his head up as a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, he walked when he was well past two years old. Mm -hmm. He didn't say mama for the first time until he was three. Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact, 
I think his first two words that he ever put together were more ice cream. <laughs> and that's when I knew he was this for sure my, my child. child. <laughs> um, so I feel like we had had to, I had had to learn really early on to just like kind of throw out those charts that mm-hmm. tell me what my son is supposed to be doing when mm. and just appreciate how sweet he was and appreciate him for his strengths and not play the comparison game. Mm-hmm. But that didn't mean that then when they were talking about all of these different potential diagnoses, which felt really scary, um, that I wasn't freaking out, that yeah. I wasn't upset, mm-hmm. that I wasn't worried or anxious about what that was going to mean down the road. Um, and I remember talking to a friend who, uh, we were in medical school and her husband was graduating from his fellowship. And so they were much further along in the medical training process than we were. And I was really kind of crying to her about my son, about how it was so hard. He couldn't talk. He was so frustrated. He would scream all the time because he was so frustrated. And I was home with him all day and I was just losing my mind. And she told me about her nephews, her teenage nephews, who as toddlers and young kids were awful were just like, she's like Rebecca, they were just the worst kids. They were the worst kids. And she said, and now they are the most incredible teenagers. And I said, well, what did your sister and brother-in-law do? What did they do to like have these kids who were so rotten turn into such amazing teenagers? And she said, they never gave up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that has stayed with me. I've held on to that. Yeah. And so through all of those potential diagnoses and then this final diagnosis, which finally was like, okay, this is a fit. This feels right. Mm -hmm. This is what we're going through was just her words over and over again in my head. Like as I'm going through that grieving process, um, this idea of, but it's going to be fine because Mm -hmm. we're never going to give up Mm -hmm. and he's going to turn out. Okay. Yeah. He's going to turn out maybe his life trajectory is going to be different than what his dad and I thought it would be. But regardless of who your kid is, regardless of whether they are a typically functioning kid or a special needs kid, their life is going to turn out to be whatever it is, right? Like they're not supposed to live out what we want for them. They need to live out what they want for themselves with our support and encouragement And so in that way, like parenting him isn't different Mm -hmm. than in how I, I'm trying to parent my other kids also, which is to let them fully be themselves and like walk down their own path with our encouragement and support. My friend Lori, who has a son who's older and she was kind of one of my first, um, people that I reached out to. Mm-hmm. When I got Finn's autism diagnosis, yeah, um, her words to me were, "You want him to be the best version of himself," mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's I that's what sticks with me. Yeah, is her saying that. So I I, just, I, I just agree. think that's so cool because yeah. here you are on the other side giving us advice. Mm-hmm. Well, the other side of what? <laughs> the other side of now you. I feel like we're entering like a new. <laughs> phase of challenges. Right. Yeah. But yes, we have totally gotten through those elementary school years. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. To give context, give us the year your kiddo was born. So he's born in the year 2000. So he just turned 19 last week, actually. And what year did you get the autism diagnosis? He was eight or nine. And if you, for those who are listening, because we live in the world now, we're like, we see it every April, the numbers for the kids with autism. Mm -hmm. But back in 2000, I mean, I'm a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. I didn't even really understand what autism was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to give that kind of context to the story of what you were dealing with and what you were going through and that now our average age of diagnosis, I think is around four. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to give a little context to yeah, that, which I feel like would have served us so much better yeah, mm-hmm. if we had known earlier on mm-hmm. for, sure. for sure. Yeah, yeah. We talk a lot about that. You know, you don't know what you don't know, Yeah, but um, you know, I think about that a lot with Owen because he was, seven when he was diagnosed. Um, but he had been linked with behavioral health since he was three. Mm-hmm. So like if we would have started these things when he was three or four or five, mm-hmm. how much further along would he be? Yeah. But it is what it is. Yep. You know, you can't change it. So you learn from it and you move on. Um, and you were mentioning some of the, the challenges that you mm-hmm. were, and you said, I'm going to a new set of challenges. Yes. Let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the, the victories yeah. that you've experienced? Yeah. So I feel like my son is, he's a, a kid of extremes. He is extremely talented in certain ways and then also has like extremely debilitating struggles. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that he has, I don't know if I mentioned before we started recording or since we've recorded, but he also has a Tourette syndrome diagnosis, Okay. which again is, um, also something that is linked to, um, the issues that I had during pregnancy with him. And, um, and, and then in eighth grade, he was diagnosed with ADHD, but he does not have the hyperactivity component. So Um, he definitely has, um, attention deficit and his psychiatrist had talked about, you know, for years he had worried about my son and ADHD. He said, it's so unusual for a kid who's on the spectrum and has a disorder like Tourette's to not also have ADHD. Those things are almost universally linked. Mm -hmm. And I think that he just hit the academic load for him wasn't, um, enough for, I think he was able to stay organized enough and stay focused enough to be able to handle, um, his ADHD, which I think he'd probably always had to some extent. And then once we got into eighth grade and his classes got a little bit harder then we started realizing like, this is definitely something that's going on and and we need to address it. Uh, so we have those three things going on and, um, for him, you know, we, we really just tried to address as much as we could, um, in his IEP, you know, like in high school, they start doing a lot of group projects. Group projects are a disaster Mm -hmm. for my son. He just cannot understand the give and take. He cannot understand like, you know, that how to make, he doesn't make compromises. That's just like, he's just not hardwired to understand that. And so then what happens is his group gets frustrated with him because he has ideas that he is emphatic about and he's a very like black and white thinker. And so his ideas are the best and nobody else's are. 
And, um, I'm just nodding my head. Cause I'm like, yeah. yep, yep. Check, check. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so they get frustrated and they just say, fine, you do it all. Which on the one hand, he's thrilled because he gets to have his own way with nobody else mm-hmm. in the picture. But on the other hand, then he gets overwhelmed because it's a group project and he's stuck doing all the work. So that is one of our challenges that we've had academically. Um, another is like open-ended assignments or papers, which is totally debilitating for mm-hmm. him. Like for him to choose, like his brain, the way his brain works is he holds on to every single detail as being equally important. So mm-hmm. for him to then pick one thing to be more interested in or have be more important than another thing to choose as a paper topic is completely paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Um, note-taking is the same thing. Every single thing, every single detail is important to him. And so he basically like will dictate a lecture and you know, that's like really hard to do. Like some, some, somebody might take a page of notes and he will have 10 pages of notes and his hand is cramping Mm -hmm. because every single thing that the professor says is equally important to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, he has an incredible memory So he remembers all of those little details, um, and he's super engaged in class. And because he so easily remembers all those details, his teachers love him, uh, because he's geeking out about all the things that they're geeking out about. Right. Yeah. But it's really challenging, um, for him to just not be able to determine like what is an important detail versus an unimportant detail an unimportant detail. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Um, and then another thing that we've really struggled with is, and I think this is common, you know, I know that they don't distinguish now like Asperger's Mm -hmm. versus, um, but I think this is really common with people who would have formally been, formerly been diagnosed with an Asperger's diagnosis is, um, to over effort, overwork everything. Mm -hmm. He'll get really excited about a topic. He loves learning, but instead of writing a two page paper, he'll write a 20 page paper at the expense of everything else. Mm -hmm. He will fall behind in every single one of his classes. He will Mm -hmm. say no to going out with friends. Mm -hmm. He will stay up until three in the morning and then get up at five. He will, I mean, bless his heart. He is the hardest worker I know but it is a compulsion. It is something that he cannot mm-hmm. not do mm-hmm. to his detriment. Mm-hmm. Um, it has affected his mental health. Mm-hmm. It's affected his physical health. At the it's end probably of his, affected your whole family, I would oh, imagine. Oh yeah, we have canceled vacations. We have, I mean, it has been so challenging. Um, but we've also had to step back and laugh because we find ourselves having conversations with him where like, it's like, you need to embrace mediocrity. <laughs> it is okay to turn in something that's just good enough. Yeah. Right? Like, it's uh, hilarious. Oh. It's not a conversation most parents are having with their kids. <laughs> um, and one of his teachers at the end of the school year, this year, so he was a graduating senior, she pulled me aside and she said, he turned in a half-finished project at the end of the year, and that was the most proud of him I have ever been. Oh, wow. Had a little party. Yeah. Right. Because that was like an obstacle that felt Mm -hmm. insurmountable for him. I mean, truly, I mean, it really came down to him not graduating from high school and him 
turning in either a completed project or a half completed project. And we were all like, you know, the work that you need to do here isn't to turn in a perfect project. Like you have that down. It Mm -hmm. is to be okay with turning in something that's not your idea of perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, those have kind of been some of his academic challenges. And then there have been a lot of social challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, Thankfully, he has a really amazing group of friends, but they're all girls. And it's very interesting because they are incredibly verbal. And I really think that they decode every social situation for him. And so he isn't left like wondering. They very clearly spell out like, here's what we expect from you. Here's what we want you to do. Here's what we need you to do. Here's, and they, they love him so much for who he is, but I think they also make it easier for him Mm -hmm. than his other friendships that he's had. And so he just has naturally kind of gravitated toward them and let the more difficult relationships that he doesn't quite understand fall by the wayside. Mm Mm-hmm. So they've been a huge blessing for us. That's awesome. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, he's going to college out of state with nobody that he knows. So yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see, like, how does this work socially? Yeah. I took a big, deep breath on college out of state. Like, I was just like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm Quinn with you going to be a junior, right? Yeah. 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 My oldest is 16 and yeah. he is, he doesn't have autism. He has ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, to think about him mm-hmm. not being around in a couple of years, I just kind of like, okay. It's yeah. a huge right. leap of faith. We got, we got this. Yeah. Well, and, and two, his brother is so connected to him. Mm-hmm. My youngest Finn does have autism. Yeah. And it, they're from the beginning, Finn wouldn't respond, wouldn't make eye contact, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He would always do that with Q. Always. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Like when Q would walk in the room, Finn would light up mm-hmm. and he was the only one who could get him to you know, make eye contact, laugh, like turn around. Look. They have a special relationship. They mm-hmm. do. They do. It's really sweet. It annoys the heck out of Q right now because <laughs> yeah. he's 16. Yeah. And at the same time, they love each other mm-hmm. tremendously. So, but yeah, big deep breath on college and tell us about college. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> oh wow. my gosh. Do I have so much to say about college? <laughs> I feel like we learned so much and we have been like telling everybody we know because we, we started having kids really young. Like mm-hmm. I was just shy of 23 mm-hmm. when my oldest was born. And so all of the people who we know who have kids the same age as, as our, like, well, all the people our age have kids much younger than us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of the first in our group of peers to have kids mm-hmm. applying for college. And we learned so much, but especially applying for college with special needs. Um, so I know that there are universities that have programs specifically for kids on the spectrum. You pay a lot for those. Mm -hmm. I know Marshall University in West Virginia is like the like kind of cream of the crop in terms of their um, autism program. It's they accept a very limited number of students. So it's, um, it's hard to get into and you pay it's, it's a private education. Mm -hmm. You pay a lot of money in tuition for it. I, but I have heard nothing but amazing things about it. Wow. Uh, and I know that now there are like a dozen or so 
universities across the country who are offering similar programs um, that they have modeled after the Marshall program um, because the Marshall University program has been so successful. Okay. But then there are other universities who maybe don't have an autism spectrum specific program, but do like are really well known for accommodating kids with special needs. And so I went to an evening event at the high school that was kind of like a college fair mm -hmm. for um, students with special needs. And so I got a lot of information about that. Um, our school counselor was an incredible resource and our college uh, counselor was also an incredible resource. And they explained to me that basically how it works is that they write a letter explaining my son's special needs. And, you know, he's really, really smart and his um, standardized testing score was really high, but, you know, he didn't maybe have the quote unquote rigor in his schedule that like, um, re like top universities would be looking for and that would kind of corresponds with somebody with his ACT score. And so they, you know, explained like, this is a kid with an autism spectrum diagnosis. He overworks everything. And so his class load is lighter than maybe some of his peers because, you know, he is turning in 20 page papers instead of two page mm -hmm. papers. And he's, he's probably putting more effort in than yes. they are for oh, a lighter totally, close load. Totally. Yeah, case load. And so then they can... So then a typical student is going to be able to just take on another AP class mm -hmm. or whereas my kid is throwing so much of himself into that one AP class that he can't take a second AP class, right? Um, so the school counselor will, it will send a letter to all the colleges that your kid is applying to. And this also applies to kids with ADHD. Mm -hmm. They can explain all of that. Uh, and the colleges really take that into account. Um, my son applied to four really remarkable universities. I got into all four, even though he had an atypical transcript. Um, and he wrote in his essays about being on the spectrum oh, wow. and kind of wrote some of his, about some of his challenges. And I think him being so open mm -hmm. about his strengths and his weaknesses and what he's learned from his diagnosis um, I would imagine was impressive to them. Um, but so that special letter can go out. And then, um, when we visited colleges, we also would go and stop in at the different, like, um, at where my son chose is choosing to attend. They call it the office of accessibility. Some places call it like the office for disability services. It's called something different. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's who they'll go talk to about receiving accommodations in college. Um, not all of the accommodations from high school translate into accommodations in college. There are um, certain things that uh, colleges just won't offer. Uh, I know a lot of colleges will not do extended time on tests, and well, ex like extended time on assignments. Like they won't extend due dates. Um, there's just certain things that they won't do. So we have like information from each of those offices about what accommodations they'll offer and then paperwork. So this summer we've been getting updated diagnoses for him. We have to have, you know, the, the diagnosis has to be within the last year. So we've been updating all of that. And then, um, we've also our, um, 
psychologist and my son's psychiatrist have both provided um, the college he's going to with a list of recommended accommodations. So like he will have somebody take notes for him. They'll pay somebody in each of his classes to be a note taker for him. And that way he's not trying to dictate every single thing. That's so great. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. But then he, and he can also learn what is an important detail versus what is not an important detail. Mm -hmm. Our university. And his hand won't be cramped up. I know. (laughs) I know. Isn't that amazing? Um, Our university also is starting a mentorship program this fall for kids on the spectrum. So we're not quite sure what that's going to entail yet, but we know that he will have that available to him. Um, And, you know, I was hoping for things like priority housing or priority scheduling or things like that, but um, that has not been available to us at the university. Um, But the other thing, and this is a new development, this is something that in the last month we have found and that you um, could be really important for you with your son with ADHD, is we found an academic coach. Yes. And this is a woman who is a PhD psychologist. She did her dissertation in executive functioning skills mm-hmm. and kids on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. and kids with ADHD. And I feel like executive functioning skills are where we struggle mm-hmm. so Absolutely. much. Um, and so especially, I didn't bring this up as one of his struggles, which is so funny because it's like our main struggle. Um, my son really, really has like almost insurmountable mental resistance, um, for doing assignments in a way he has never done them before. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I feel like it's kind of the academic version of like going to a social situation that he doesn't know anything about of having to put on shorts after wearing pants all winter, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. of just having a change, Mm -hmm. doing something new is always like, he feels so anxious about that. So for him to write a paper in a different format than he's ever written it in before, it will literally be like 40 hours Mm -hmm. of him like figuratively banging his head against the wall Mm -hmm. where my husband and I are literally banging our heads against the wall. (laughs) It's this mental resistance that he just cannot work through Mm -hmm. easily. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyways, so this academic counselor, this academic coach, uh, just did a college workshop that he was a part of for kids on the spectrum and with ADHD. And it was so incredible. And it was all about like teaching him how to connect with the services that are available to him in college, teaching him, um, you know, how do you introduce yourself to a professor? How do you introduce the idea to the professor that you're going to have special accommodations and he'll have a letter actually that he hands to them. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you go get extra help during office hours? How do you, all these different things, how do you negotiate difficulties with your roommates? Wow. How do you, I mean, just all these things. And she will actually continue to coach him weekly mm-hmm. through his, you know, at least for sure this first semester of college. And then we're hoping that then we can take it down to twice a week. I mean, Mm -hmm. twice a month Mm -hmm. and then one time a month and then once a quarter. Um, but we have read about the importance of an academic coach for kids with executive functioning skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're so blessed to have found one Mm -hmm. who's local Mm -hmm. to us 
and to have just connected with her as mm-hmm. easily as we did. And I feel like she's going to be so instrumental, um, for providing him the support that he needs. Right. Because the truth is, it's like, you know, he, he will have a lot of supports available to him through the university, but it's having the accountability mm-hmm. to actually go and get it done, mm-hmm. to go and make those connections. And at his age, like he's not, he's not going to do it if we tell him to do it. Mm-hmm. But if someone who is, you know, a PhD, if Dr. So-and-so tells him to do it, he's going to go do it because she's not his mom, right? Yeah. Story of my life. (laughs) Something about the moms. Did Miss Christina say I have to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Miss Christina said you have to brush your teeth and go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, and it just gets worse when they're teenagers. Oh, I can only imagine. And, and (laughs) this academic coach owns up to that. She's like, I'm going to tell him the same stuff mm-hmm. that you and your husband are telling him, but he's going to listen to me because I am a neutral third party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we don't have a complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes a lot of sense. So I'm hearing kind of the, the bigger takeaways from, from everything you've given us is make sure you check out the office of disability Yes. Whatever Whatever it's called Mm -hmm. that you're thinking about, get in contact with them, get those resources. Yeah. And, and for sure, like feel that out Mm -hmm. because if they are not accommodating, if you're not getting good vibes from them, Mm -hmm. then that might mean that you need to look at a different university for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you can seek out some type of coaching, yeah, yeah, academic or whatever else they might be called Mm -hmm. in terms of that person who can kind of, cause you do, there, there is something about I'm the mom. He's not going to hear it from me Mm -hmm. or she's not going to hear it from me. Having that third party kind of outside whose objective can say, look, no, really this is super duper important. Well, Mm -hmm. and this woman who we are seeing also takes kids in high school. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we had met her two years ago, Mm -hmm. I would have like, Less so many hair. fewer wrinkles. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> I feel like I've aged like 10 years in the last year. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, another thing that I feel like is worth mentioning is the college application process. Mm. So, yeah. <sighs> okay. <laughs> truly it was traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Um, my son feels just doesn't have a good, he doesn't feel urgent. Like there's no sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Like he very much lives in the now mm-hmm. I feel like. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my husband and I have a much better sense of like how long it takes to fill out a college application, even after my son had filled out several already. And, you know, there's something called the common app. So if most universities take the common app, it's essentially you fill out this common application online, you indicate what colleges you want to send it to. And then the colleges will indicate if there are any special essays or portfolio items or anything like that, that they want in addition to the common app. Mm. But some private universities don't take the common app. So then you have to do an entirely separate college application. So the common app applications were a little less labor intensive because the bulk of the work just had to be done once. But it's still, you know, 
like it's a lot of colleges work. have different deadlines. Some are November 1st, December 1st, yes. January 15th, February 1st. They all have different deadlines and none of his applications were sent to those colleges until like truly the 11th hour. The, the university he decided to go to, he hit submit with 14 seconds before the end of the deadline. Oh, wow. wow. I mean, we were, my husband and I were just sweating. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Because again, he's just like, so in the present moment and to him, it's like, well, the applications due at midnight, that's like eight hours away. Right. Like that sense of time Mm -hmm. and how time works, time management, Mm -hmm. which can also be an executive functioning. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a struggle. Yeah. Um, and then the decision-making process Mm -hmm. was also enormously challenging and what we didn't realize is there's this hard deadline, May 1st, and everyone, it's like the national college deadline day. You'll hear about it on the news, May 1st, May 1st, May 1st. What we did not realize was that as incentive to tell a college yes prior to May 1st, that you, once you say yes, then you get to move forward with your housing preferences. Mm -hmm. You get to move forward. Like when you say yes determines in a lot of places like how early you get to register for classes, Mm. you know, they, they provide these incentives, which we did not know about Mm -hmm. until my son said yes to a college, like, you know, midnight the night on May 1st. And, um, and then all of a sudden, like all the housing was taken up, like Mm -hmm. he's on the waiting list for everything, which then caused us a lot of stress because, you know, we didn't know And so that's our big piece of advice is, I mean, we haven't tried this yet, Uh but we feel like it's feasible. (laughs) Like if your child is, has a really difficult time, like with the decision-making process, like our kid on the spectrum does say yes to multiple schools, lose the hundred dollar deposits, like say yes. Uh So that then when he actually does finally make that decision on May 1st, he's already started the process of like getting housing, you know, we'll get to register for classes and actually get in. Like Mm -hmm. my son is still on the waiting list for all of his classes. Wow. Because he had to register like Mm -hmm. much later than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, so like with our other boys, you know, we have a, a senior in high school this year. So we'll go through the whole process again. And we're like, Oh my gosh, you are applying early. You are deciding <laughs> early. There is no May 1st deadline. We it's will happening not go. now. We have learned from our mistakes. We will not go through this again. Um, so just know that as far as we know, you can theoretically, you don't say yes through the common app. Mm-hmm. You say yes to the schools individually and mm-hmm. they don't communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. So you could theoretically, if your kid is like dying over mm-hmm. the decision-making process, you theoretically could say yes to two different schools, mm-hmm. pay the hundred dollar deposit for both of them, and then continue along that process. So then they're not penalized for deciding at the 11th hour. Yeah. It's interesting to me how you're saying like, you know, he still fell under that, even though everybody kind of knows going into it, he has these, you know, extra yeah. needs. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that, that, it doesn't sound like he can kind of circumvent Mm-mm. that at all. He still no. falls into those. I would imagine there are some universities who give like priority registration to kids with special needs. 
um, the university he picked doesn't. Gotcha. So, I mean, the nice thing is, is that as a sophomore, he'll get registration before all the incoming freshmen. And so, you know, once he gets into upper level classes, it will be much easier for him to register. For sure. But I know some universities will allow their special needs kids to like move into college housing a day early so Mm -hmm. that things are calmer. It's probably huge. They even have rooms like single rooms Mm -hmm. that are available, like a very limited number and you pay an arm and a leg for them. Mm -hmm. But like, we're really nervous about our son sharing a room with somebody. Sure. Um, he has always needed his own room. So, you know, that's something that we're just like crossing our fingers and saying our prayers and really hoping works out. Okay. Because it could be like, I am really nervous for his roommates. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, for sure. Um, so there are, are places where they, in fact, um, the university he picked is the only one of the four he got admitted to that doesn't allow like one person in a room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where we're just holding our breaths and crossing our fingers and hoping mm-hmm. that it works out. But um, the advantages of that school outweighed the disadvantages of like him having to have a roommate and things like that. So we, we made that conscious decision, but it's still a little scary. And that's another important point to make is that, you know, for anybody who's listening, who's getting ready maybe to get their kid into some type of higher education, it would be important for you to weigh those mm-hmm. advantages sure. versus disadvantages because your stories who, you know, the people who are listening, they're going to have unique set yeah. of challenges and needs and, it might work for them versus someone else it might not work for, yeah. but that would be another good takeaway is make sure yeah. you weigh those. Yeah. Well, and I and do know that these colleges that have like Marshall university that have these programs specific to kids on the spectrum, those programs come with a academic coach. Okay. Oh, nice. They come with a room all to yourself. Wow. They, you know, they have like these supports that were well, some of the supports we're able to build in for him privately, mm-hmm. um, or that we just wish he had are mm-hmm. already built into those programs because they recognize, mm-hmm. you know, their academic coaches are advocates with their teachers, mm-hmm. whereas my son is going to have to go and advocate for himself. Correct. Um, so, you know, my son is, has been very good at advocating for himself through high school. And so we feel confident that he'll be able to continue that through college. But if that's something that your child struggles with, you may need to set them up for success by having them go to a school where those helps are built in for them already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's another good point for sure. What about, um, what is he how is he feeling about college? Is he nervous? Like, what is he worried about? Um, he is nervous. He's getting really excited. Uh, he, so he is a very talented filmmaker and he won a bunch of awards. In fact, he won even some like really prestigious statewide awards for his, um, films. And one of the universities he got into is one of the top 10 film programs in the country, Oh my gosh! which we just did not feel like was a good fit for him given his special needs. Mm -hmm. But we were just so proud of him, um, for getting in, he got a half scholarship. I mean, it was just like so incredibly impressive. So the university he's going to does have a really great, smaller, less stressful, uh, film production program. And so looking through those classes, like it, it's just so easy to get excited because 
he really is going to have an opportunity to fulfill his dreams, Mm -hmm. which is so exciting. Um, and, and it's nice too. He's going to a university where we have family around. Mm -hmm. So he'll have grandparents who are 10 minutes away, um, two other cousins at that school and, um, two sets of aunts and uncles who are nearby. And so he's going to have a nice support system, support system, but then he will also have the experience of being in college away from home, which I just think away from mom and all her rules. Oh my gosh. That's what he'll tell you. He told me, he told me yesterday, I was driving him home from his college workshop. It was the last day. And every day he said homework. And one of them was this list of the top 10 of 10 things he needs to talk to his parents about before going to college. And, and number 10 on the list was communicate with your parents. You need to talk about like what supports you need Mm -hmm. from your parents. And he looks at me and he goes, we need to have a talk about this one because I need to let you know how to support me without being so annoying. There he is advocating for himself. (laughs) That's fantastic. I love that. I was speechless. I'm like, I just, I just can't. I can't. Like, Anyways, yeah, it makes me want to laugh and it just makes me want to burst into tears. Yeah. Like, oh my time. gosh, you have no idea yeah. how yeah. hard it is to parent you sometimes. Um, but then you had talked about like what has been rewarding mm-hmm. about parenting him. Um, and I feel like he is so hard to parent, but he is also like, it is so rewarding mm-hmm. to parent him because when he was born, we threw all expectations out the window, mm-hmm. right? As he has received these different diagnoses, we just have been like, he is going to walk his own path and we're not going to have any expectations for that. Whereas I think with our other kids, we've had these just natural expectations about how they were going to perform in school, what they were going to do based on our own experiences. And Joshua has struggled a lot, but he has also been really successful. And, you know, his successes have been very hard fought Mm -hmm. and hard won, but the like excitement Mm -hmm. that we have for him, knowing how much he struggled, knowing how much he's overcome, like that kid, he can turn the tiniest, tiniest little anthill into the biggest mountain Mm -hmm. for himself he never gives up, mm-hmm. which is the coolest thing to see yeah. as a parent. Like he creates so many challenges for himself, but then he works so hard to overcome them. And then when we see him getting private scholarships, getting awards, being recognized, like being absolutely adored by his teachers because he's so engaged in the classroom, because you know, he just has these profound strengths in addition to these profound weaknesses and they love him for his strengths. Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like our like pride, our gratitude for him, um, our happiness for him is like equal in equal measure, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like as hard as it's been, as much as we've all struggled, then when he does succeed, Mm-hmm. it's just like so much more exciting. Yeah. Um, and so again, it's like parenting extremes, but it's so awesome to have those like super high highs mm-hmm. to balance out the really, really low lows. 
There's nothing like seeing you are an expert in your son. Like, I don't care how many letters are after your name. I know my son oh, yeah, better than sure. you ever will. For sure. And there's just something so rewarding about like, no, he can do this. I know he can do this. Mm-hmm. These are the steps that I'm going to take to help him. Mm-hmm. And then he does it mm-hmm. and it is the best thing ever. It really is. It really is. And I think my face hurts from smiling so much. I know. We're like <laughs> smile. We're, we're in the joy right now. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to end. Yeah. You know, oh, I do want to, to talk joys. about one more thing. One, more, one thing that we talk about a lot that we kind of hate talking about, but have to talk about is self-care. Oh, sure. Oh, for sure. So okay. Rebecca, you mentioned um, that you are a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. You're a health coach. Mm-hmm. You are what I want to be. But I can, <laughs> but I love Cheetos. Um, can you and waffles and, and waffles? Oh, yeah. they were so good, <laughs> so good. I went with our friend Kim Smith, our quality control editor, and she's like, "Have you ever tried dipping cheese in maple syrup?" And I was like, "No, but I will now." Oh yeah. boy! <laughs> like I didn't need that info, but yeah. I'm going to try it. Um, how? What have you done for self care? What has helped you? What advice would you give? our listeners. Yeah. And then tell us about your um, company. So, um, this is something that took me a while to figure out. I really, really struggled, um, when my kids were young to like set their needs aside to meet my needs. And you're just on your, it's like around the clock parenting, right? Mm -hmm. Like Joshua would scream all night long. Then I had, you know, I just, it was such a struggle and, you know, I just had these babies back to back, um, and was essentially single parenting in a mm-hmm. lot of ways while my husband was in medical training. And I really, I mean, I really just felt like so many times during those early years, I knew what I needed to be doing to be okay within myself, but I just couldn't like push a nap time back to do it. I couldn't like, you know, I knew that like driving home from the gym, the boys would be screaming in the backseat because they were overtired or over hungry or like, I, I just, I didn't have the capacity to like set their needs aside to take care of my needs, but then I paid for it. Mm-hmm. And eventually through like living on the verge of insanity for many years, realized like, Oh, if I prioritize these things that I need to be okay within myself, which for me, like I have to have physical activity. I am just hardwired that way. Like my dad used to just go out and run a hundred miles because that's just how he's hardwired. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to go out and run a hundred miles. I'm hardwired for naps. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's me. Right I wish there. I was hardwired for naps. I can't ever hold still. I'm not hardwired for a hundred miles, but I have to get some kind of physical activity every day. That's like how I press the reset button. Mm-hmm. That's how I deal with stress and anxiety. Um, and even if it's just 15 minutes, it is so vitally important. And I feel like people will look at that and say, oh, that's such a luxury. I'm like, oh, absolutely not. Like this is a baseline total necessity. Like I am psychotic. Mm -hmm. If I am not moving my body in some way every day, again, even 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I eventually was able to figure out like, oh, making that happen for myself even twice a week is totally worth dealing with kids who are off their schedule. Um, and then I, I really started to figure out, like, I have to prioritize sleep. Like I cannot parent this kid in the way that he needs me. I can't show up for him the way he needs me to show up. If I have not had like a minimum seven hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. 
And like that meant with my third baby, like he was 11 months old and still nursing four times a night. And I just, it's like, I, I can't parent a special needs kid nursing a baby four times a night. Like mm-hmm. I can't do it. I'm either going to have a mental breakdown and be hospitalized or, and, and so that's when I really started prioritizing my sleep and, you know, it meant turning off the baby monitor and saying good luck kiddo. But I was able to parent and be present and show up for my kids in really, really important ways. And the baby was just fine. <laughs> he was just fine. Um, in fact, he was better for it. Uh, so I feel like prioritizing sleep has been huge for me. Prioritizing some kind of movement has been really, really big for me. Um, and then I found yoga, which has also just been a really important way for me to process whatever I need. Um, and through yoga, I found meditation. And I think that right now, actually it's my daily meditation practice that is, um, helping me feel mentally resilient in really profound and important ways. And I wish that I had started meditating daily 15 years ago. I think that it would have served me so much better. Um, and I just right now, I mean, I, I am certified to teach meditation. I have lots of meditation tools in my toolbox through my yoga teacher training. But right now I feel like things have been so crazy trying to get my kid through the college application process and graduated from high school that I want meditation spoon fed to Mm -hmm. me. And so I downloaded the headspace app and I just pay the monthly fee. It's like, I don't know, 12 bucks a month maybe, which is a lot for an app, but it really is kind of like a little mini therapy session every time. And 12 minutes for daily therapy is amazing. So I just worked through a 30 day course on meditation for stress now I'm working through a 30 day course for meditation, um, on joy. Mm. Uh, if at night, if I can't sleep, I'll turn on one of their sleep meditations. Like it has been a phenomenal resource for self-care and just dealing with parenting a child who is like lives at both extremes, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like super, super joyful, super, super challenging, It just helps me feel like a little bit removed from the drama of it all. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing from you that self-care equals being able to show up for your kids. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And then I will add to that the advice that I've given several parents who have come to me like with a new diagnosis, like we just got this diagnosis. What advice do you have? I also think it's really important to make time for yourself, but it's also really important to nurture your relationship with your spouse Mm -hmm. Yes, because like that relationship needs to be healthy if possible so that you can be a good team Mm -hmm. to parent your child. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my husband and I have really made an effort to prioritize time alone, Mm -hmm. which has been really hard. You know, there were times like we would be heading out on date night, which in medical training, I mean, it still is like maybe once a month we'll sneak out, but you know, we would leave my son in a complete and total meltdown Mm -hmm. because he didn't want us to go, but we knew he was going to be okay. We knew we had a sitter who could handle it, which always meant usually hiring like a college age. We would put ads in the paper 
for the local universities and, you know, try and find somebody who was in the education department, Mm -hmm. you know, studying special ed, things like that. Um, we never lived near family. So, you know, we have utilized the resources that were available to us, um, and just had to trust that it was all going to be okay and taken the time to nurture that relationship also so that we can then work as a unified team mm-hmm. as we parent our special needs kid. For sure. I think that's so important because I don't think it can be stressed enough how difficult this can be oh, gosh. and it will yeah. tear you apart if mm-hmm. you let it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really important point. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say Thank you so much for talking to us. This has been really helpful. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. Oh, thank you. Um, I hope so. Your family is incredible, and you've worked really hard, and it shows. And thank hooray. you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. And um, for our listeners, our encouragement to you is to get that knowledge, get that information, practice some self-care. And finally, here's to the complexity in our journeys, the highs and the lows, and may those who observe us do so with compassion, especially for our amazing kids. Mm